The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Even the psychopaths, there's probably, may not be where you want to spend your time, but probably across the, the spectrum of human possibilities, there's some capacity for compassion. Doesn't mean that everyone should give their time and attention and energy towards broadening compassion beyond the compassion they feel, say, for their own children or for their own community. And I don't, I think the answer is no, actually. I think that this process we're talking about now of broadening compassion is for, for people who feel called to it. And the last thing you would ever want to do is inflict compassion cultivation on people. It actually, it has this it can have a very unintended consequence as, you know, telling people they need to be more compassionate. Um, so, you know, this is something that one chooses, that, that this idea of going beyond the natural limits of compassion and really challenging your own limits, to, that's a very courageous thing. It's for people who, who want that experience and want to contribute that to the world. So, you know, it always has to come from that place of willingness. And I'm not really a compassionate evangelist. You know, I'm not... I'm glad you guys are here, but you're also free to leave. We did not lock the doors. Okay, so we're going to do a meditation practice now where we are going to go through this. Basically, you're going to allow this process to unfold. Other things might also arise, like distress, guilt, overwhelm, anxiety. Now, we did that practice of trying to hold opposites, and we've done that practice of trying to find the qualities of warmth and spaciousness in your own body and attention. So you're going to bring those ideas into this practice If you find that when you think of a loved one suffering, you're starting to feel kind of panicky or you're feeling a lot of things come up, it's a really good time to come back to those qualities of groundedness. Like physically, you can can stop thinking about any particular story and just sense your feet. You can come back to just sensing your breath. You have flexibility of your attention. So that's something to bring into this practice and other practices. And then while you are bringing that in, I'll talk you through different aspects of this unfolding process of compassion and ask you to turn your attention to things like a feel of care and connection, to things like a desire to relieve suffering. And we'll do it in a way that might allow you to actually touch this version of responding to suffering, even if that empathic distress comes up again as well. So we are going to take an intentional seat for practice Finding that quality of stability in your own body. As in many meditations, it can be helpful to choose stillness of the body, but it's not like putting on a suit of armor. So you can move as needed, but also at the same time have the intention to be physically still. Bring in the quality of the sun by connecting to your own natural intention and warmth. So bring back to mind that intention, the why. The why you're choosing to cultivate compassion. And bring in that quality of the sky 
by sensing the breath, sensing this wind that moves in and through you. Sensing room and space. And now I invite you to bring to mind a friend or loved one, human or otherwise. And imagine yourself in their presence. And I invite you to especially notice any sensations or thoughts of care, of love, of friendship or gratitude. With any thoughts or feelings of this warmth and connection in mind, I'm going to invite you to allow yourself to really connect to them through words and through actions in your own mind. If there is a gesture or a touch that you could imagine offering your friend or loved one that would express your feelings of friendship or care or gratitude, in your own mind, I invite you to imagine what that would look like embodied. You can imagine yourself actually offering that touch or that gesture. And now I invite you to see if there are words you would use to express your own feeling of love or friendship. And to imagine saying those phrases or those words to your friend or loved one. And now bring your attention to the area around your chest and heart and lungs. And begin to sense the movement of the breath around the heart and lungs, where there is actually movement of the breath happening right now. That expansion as you breathe in. That expansion dissolving as you breathe out. And imagine that you could inhale and exhale directly from this part of your body as if you had moved your nostrils to your chest. What would that feel like? 
And finally, I invite you to imagine your breath as an offering to your friend or a loved one. And imagine that as you breathe out from the chest, from the heart and the lungs, imagine that your breath could carry your thoughts or your feelings or your words of love or friendship. See if you can imagine the breath carrying those thoughts and feelings to your loved one. and bringing him or her a sense of support and happiness. Now bring your awareness back to your breath and body. We're at the halfway point of this meditation. If you're feeling sleepy, this might be a time to mindfully open the eyes or reset the body. If you're feeling any discomfort in your body, again, now might be a time to mindfully adjust so that you feel willingness to re-engage with part two. I invite you to bring to mind now a time when your friend or loved one was suffering in some way. It could be a cold or the flu. It could be some small stress or some bigger form of suffering. Remember or imagine a time when your friend or loved one was in some form of pain or stress or suffering. Notice how this feels. And I invite you to turn your attention to any compassionate responses that are present right now or that you would like to invite in. Notice how it feels to be aware of your friend or loved one's suffering. And as part of what you feel, a sense of concern or love or care. Is there a desire to relieve that suffering if possible or to offer encouragement and support in whatever way is possible. And I invite you to, again, imagine in your own mind if there is a way that you would approach your friend or loved one, 
with words and with actions. If there is a gesture or a touch, you could imagine offering, what would that be like? Or are there words that you might say? Here are some words you might try out in your own mind, imagining saying them to your friend or loved one. May you be free of this suffering. May you know that you are loved. May you know your own strength. May you know peace. Turn your attention to the breath again. Bring awareness to the expansion of the area around your chest and lungs. Once again, imagine your breath as an offering from the heart that might reach your loved one or friend. And imagine that all of your thoughts or feelings of compassion could reach your friend or loved one in a way that provides peace or strength. Now bring your awareness back to your own body and breath in this moment. Drop any story or any visualization. Sense your body and breath in this moment. And bring a kind of compassionate awareness to whatever is present right now. Whatever thoughts or feelings, sensations are present.
begin to open your awareness to the space around you. And again, taking a moment to kind of touch the space around you. You can move your fingers. You can let your gaze touch the space around you. Turn your attention. And move or stretch in any way that is needed now as well. We're going to take another minute of silence just to kind of literally allow the body to come back into the space. So one of the things I haven't mentioned yet, sort of a general policy in my classes, is this idea of conscious contribution. So now that we've been together a little while and some folks have shared in a big group and some folks have not, either asking questions or personal observations, I want you to check in with yourself and whether you're someone who has shared already or asked a question and whether you're someone who hasn't. I'm going to especially invite the people who haven't to think about whether there's something you want to share, you're willing to share, or, or need to share. Okay, so with that in mind, any observations about that meditation practice, either as a standalone or compared to the first little mini exercise we did where you just thought about a loved one suffering without the rest of the framework? What stands out to you? Oh. <laughs> we, so we ha- yes, it was easier. Good. And I'll come to you in one second. And do you, do you want to say just a little bit more about that? Great. Okay. Thank you. So your experience was there was real warmth there, and it wasn't as frightening. Thank you. Yeah. 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 So you had the experience of you had you had the experience of being calm and settled, even the awareness of suffering. Thank you. Others. Yes. Yeah, thank you. So this is the observation that the person that you chose for this meditation is dealing with really serious stuff, a lot of stuff, and that you've had this experience of not wanting to engage. This was a practice that actually allowed you to have the experience of the willingness to engage. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for expressing that. So this is the observation that this one was actually much more difficult, and the word you used first was emotional. Do you want to say anything else about that? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of sadness here. Is that okay? Yeah, so this is something that often happens 
when we start to open our hearts and our minds in this way is that the more space we create, the more compassionate space we create, the more stuff shows up. And then sometimes we actually have to find then our own comfort with how much room we want to make and to keep ourselves as part of that compassionate response, right? You know, when we're in this process of of broadening compassion, we will come to places where we need to shift into self-compassion as well and really have a sense of how difficult this is and how much we're opening ourselves to. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. So this is the observation that you started to cough, even though you don't, you don't have like a cough or a cold, but it was just, you had this physical response and awareness that maybe that's connected to what you're feeling and what you're bringing attention to. Yeah. And the, you know, the great thing about all this information from the body is we don't even really need to think about it. We just invite that into our awareness. Isn't this interesting? The body is having this response and to not fight it or feel like it's something we need to then block out of our experience. Yeah. 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 So let me repeat that for everyone. So she had a difficult time staying with one person that you wanted to bring in all sorts of people and children. And did you say, and yes, children, adults, great. Yes. Oh, isn't that interesting? Okay. So the mind wanted to include lots of people and there was a sense of helplessness. Yeah. Yes. 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 Okay. So I'm, so I'm going to repeat again sort of the whole container there because I actually think they're very interestingly linked. So there was the desire for the mind to include a whole lot of people and a whole lot of suffering. And that often what came up, particularly with adults, was the sense of I want to help, but there's nothing I can do to help. And I think that that's, it's a, it's a very... Um, we're not, we're not going to talk too much about it today, but psychologists call that compassion collapse, where there's a sense of awareness of suffering, and because we don't know what we can actually do to fix the problem, maybe we can't fix it, maybe there's nothing to do, that we start to, we start to shut down or feel overwhelmed. There's kind of a collapse of, the, of sort of this version of compassion, because the brain thinks we need to be able to fix or solve, and in the absence of knowing what to do, feels like there's nothing to do. And what's actually required is the ability to sustain just the compassionate awareness, really, just the compassionate awareness and presence. And so my encouragement would actually be to really hone the quality of attention that allows you to stay with one person and one suffering, even if whoever it was that came to mind, when you bring them into the meditation, you're like, well, there's nothing I can do, or that suffering is huge, or I don't know how to handle that. I think there's something very helpful about training the quality of attention that can go narrow, that also supports our ability to go quite broad. 
Why, being mindful of our time, I want to actually tell you about a, a particular study that may encourage those of you who don't have a compassion meditation practice, it may encourage you to stay with the practice we just did, which of course is not something you need to hear someone else talk you through. These practices actually work better, in my opinion, when you do them yourself. Once you kind of know what you're doing, you just bring in the suffering and, and bring it on. Um, so this is a study that was recently published. These are researchers at the, the Max Planck Institute in Germany who decided to look at what compassion looks like in the brain among people who are expert at compassion meditation. I don't know if they're actually experts in compassion, but they sure are used to practicing it. See what happens in the brain when these expert meditators feel like they are really confident that what they've experienced, what they're, they're touched uh, is compassion. See what happens in the brain. And then take, in this case, it was women. I, I don't think that this is because it doesn't work for men. It just happens that in this case, we're looking at women who have never meditated before. Uh, so young adults, age 18 to 35. Some of them were randomly assigned to do a compassion training. I'll tell you about in a second, compassion meditation training. And then uh, others were randomly assigned to a different training where they were focusing on memory and sort of working memory and focus and a different kind of cognitive training. And uh, they decided to look to see if you could see changes in the new meditators' brains that reflect what they observed in experienced meditators, these compassion experts. So here's what the training was. This is I feel like this should be very inspirational, science-inspirational. One-day workshop, check, right? If you stay, we got another hour, you know, a little bit. Okay, so check. Um, and then an average of 5.7 hours of home practice over a follow-up. So people taking the, the meditation they learned and doing it at home. Not a huge commitment. So here is what people were doing while their brains were being observed. And, uh, here. okay, so this is time scale. If you can see the slides, I'll explain it if you can't see it. So you're looking at a series of screens. And these are screens that if you were a participant in the study, this screen would be in front of your face while you were lying down in a brain scanner. So so the scientists are able to see changes in activity in your brain while you see things that show up on the slide screen in front of you. And you're going to be given instructions, and then you're given things to rate. So I'm going to see a slide that says observe. And I know, okay, here we go. I'm going to be observing somebody talking about something. And then a video comes up, and it's somebody talking about either something that's kind of no big deal, like having to move your car because the cops are going to tow it, right? Like, it was annoying. It's not a big deal, Right. We, we've, we've, where's the car, was that, whose car was that? You're still here, right? Yeah, you're over it now, right? Okay, but you could still want to vent a little bit about it. So, you know, something a little bit, emo not really. And then other people talking about really emotional things, more like we could think of as being deep suffering. And there's going to be a range from the non-emotional to the pretty emotional stuff. And then the participant rates how much empathy they felt for that person, as in you feel like you understood what they were going through. Negative affect, that's the distress. How much did it make you feel anxious? You feel angry. You feel sad. And then positive affect, right? How much happiness was present? Connection. But like, like good feelings while you're listening to someone talk about their suffering. And, uh, and then the whole thing starts over again. So these are the results. I'll put it in English, although if you can see the slides, you might, you, you might be interested in some of these pictures. So we're looking at uh, a few different areas of the brain that ended up becoming um, more activated both in... Actually, let me see. Do I have a second? I'm, let me start with this. Let me tell you the emotions before we go to the brain. Um, so what we're looking at, blue lines 
are people who are in the control group. So these are folks who learned how to strengthen their focus and their memory. And I'm just going to get rid of them right away because they're not interesting. You'll notice pretty much every blue line is flat. No changes. No changes. We don't care anymore about them. This had nothing to do with their experience of compassion. Okay, the red lines are the people who did the compassion training, the one-day workshop. So those are lines that I'm interested in. And over here, we are looking at positive emotions, negative emotions, and empathy. And of the red lines, we've got two different red lines. This is the line showing how much positive emotion people felt when someone was telling a story of real suffering, this like the actual emotional stuff. And then this was positive emotion when it was not big deal stuff, like moving your car. You'll notice that there was a significant increase in positive emotion in both of those circumstances from before to after. So you do this one-day workshop in, in loving-kindness, compassion, meditation, and now when you hear people talk about their day or their suffering, you actually are feeling more positive emotion that is part of your experience of being aware of their, their experiences and their suffering. Now, these red lines look a lot like the blue lines. So this is negative emotion. No change. Not as much negative emotion when people are talking about really not highly emotional things. And a fair amount of negative emotion when people are talking about serious stuff. No change from the compassion meditation. I think this is really important because this is my experience teaching compassion meditation, that we don't make the distress go away. We make space for that sense of care and connection and the desire to help that you could frame as positive emotion. We make room for it, and that increases, and it gives us a, a, a more complex response to suffering that actually allows us to be willing to stay with that suffering. Empathy. So there was no real, no real change for empathy for uh, serious problems. But very interesting, a, the biggest change of all was an increase in empathy for not really big deal stuff. And I also think that's really important because sometimes we're in a little bit of denial about other people's stress and suffering or not that interested. And the idea that people could be talking about almost anything going on in their lives and you would feel a sense of empathy for them, that's also a side benefit to, to working with suffering that not only do we strengthen our container for dealing with suffering, but other people become more intrinsically interesting, and it's easier to see common humanity, even when suffering is not the context. Right? It doesn't have to be big suffering. So something about this process that brought in positive emotion to awareness of suffering and increased empathy, particularly for the low-stakes issues. And... Um, so I guess that was after having told you guys about that, but that's basically the meditation they were doing, right? So we did the meditation that they were doing in the study, and you had a taste of what that might be like to bring in the positive without having to push away things like fear or sadness. And that really is the process of this practice. And then the brain images, which we don't have a whole lot of time for, but basically the main differences, um, I told you, that, that, that key difference between distress and, and compassion was the approach motivation system. So every, I'm not going to break down where this actually is in the brain, but every single area you see circled here, that's part of the approach motivation system. So that is the area of the brain that really changed in response to meditation training. Not, not whether the brain activated the stress regions, it's still happening, right? It's the, the reward system, the desire to approach. That was the thing that changed. Oh, and I 
those were the happy little little ideas. So we did that. We actually already practiced. And again, this is my encouragement to you. If you want to take a practice home with you today, this is a good practice to take home. The idea of bringing to mind a loved one, establishing that sense of connection and care, bringing an awareness of suffering, and choosing to focus on the different aspects of compassion, the care, the willingness to be with, the sense of connection, and the desire to relieve that suffering. And the out-breath is a good way to do that. Okay. Robert, I think you were right about whether we were going to get through all of this stuff. I think, having heard what you guys are here for, I think we're going to skip the vegetables. You want to hear about vegetables? Well, we may be able to come back to this. Uh, I know a lot of you are here for self-compassion. So let's explore that first. And then as we have time, we might come back to the question of vegetables and common humanity. So I want to actually do a show of hands. Uh, Raise your hand if for you it is sometimes or often more difficult to feel compassion for your own stress or difficulties or failures than it is for... I love how you're you're already like... You don't even say any more. It just is. (laughs) Right? So harder for your own stress or suffering or pain than for others. Okay, now keep your hands up. This is a very important exercise because this does not happen by accident, right? This is not a coincidence. Turn around and look. Even the folks in the back who you guys can't see, right? They've all almost all got their hands up. Okay, put your hands down. So this seems to be way more common than often people um, believe if we don't have a conversation about it. And this is true, you know, across every. the entire age span, this seems to be true, that it shows up pretty early, the self-criticism or the just having greater ease responding to other people's pain and suffering than our own, all the way up through the lifespan as people experience caregiving situations. And, um, and often I think people think that they're alone in it because there's a, a voice at the back of the head that says, well, but my suffering just isn't as bad as, or, but I, you know, I really do need to fix what's wrong with me before I can then accept everything about me. There's such a stickiness to the sense that our own stress and suffering is somehow different than the stress or suffering of others. So um, I wanted to go back through our definition of compassion and really think about this and why self-compassion can be so challenging. So first of all is the recognition of suffering that should lead to a feeling of concern for and connection to the one who suffers. Well, what are some of the things that get in the way of recognizing our own suffering? You can just call it out a word or a phrase. Denial. denial. Yeah, and why might we be in denial about our own stress or suffering? You feel that it diminishes it, in that if you don't pay attention to it, then somehow it won't be as, yeah, it won't be as big or as real. That there's a, a sense we may have that if we choose not to pay attention to it, that we can escape it in some way. Shame. Shame. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that. Vulnerability, yeah. It feels we, when we start to bring attention to our own pain and stress, there often is a feeling of vulnerability that comes up. And that itself may be a new form of what feels like suffering that we want to escape. So that can lead us to downplay that we even are experiencing pain or stress. Sorry, I'm, again, we're, people who haven't said anything yet, I especially encourage. Was there anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Like maybe other people don't want to hear about it 
or it would in some way suggest that I'm now I'm totally projecting all over you, right? But I'm thinking of all the things I've heard, right? That, you know, somehow it suggests that I'm more important than other people if I'm focusing. Okay, you're, yeah, you understand that. Yes. It's such a habit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we get that there are lots of things that could lead us to, did you want to? Yeah, that you deserve to suffer. Good. I'm glad we made room for that. Yeah. There can be a deep-seated belief that you deserve to suffer, and therefore, you don't see it in the same way you see the suffering of others. It doesn't have that purity of just a pain, that you're dealing with something difficult. It becomes clouded, and then we experience something like shame. So the second challenge is a feeling of concern for and connection to the one who suffers. And I mentioned that from a scientific perspective, not necessarily a Buddhist perspective or a philosophical perspective, but from the science perspective, it seems pretty clear that compassion unfolds when you have a sense of seeing yourself in the one who suffers, but it is not the self who is suffering. That there's something about a boundary that you are in relationship to the one who is suffering that makes it much easier for compassion to unfold. And that if you flip that and suddenly you are the one suffering, that quality of relationship gets taken out. And it's something about the quality of relationship that I see you and I see your suffering, that quality of witnessing and being in relationship to that makes it easier for compassion to, uh, to transpire instead of something like, shame or anger or self-pity or grief. So we're going to do a practice specifically for this to help us find the relationship to the one who suffers when it's us who's suffering. And then the desire to relieve suffering and the ability to act skillfully. So these often go together. What are some of the things that might get in the way of these? So we've heard the belief that we deserve the suffering and that can get in the way of the desire to relieve it or to act skillfully. What else in your experience in your, in your own experience, maybe gets in the way of this. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's a sense that uh, hypervigilance on what could go wrong, what's not perfect about yeah. oneself, um, is important to stay safe in the world yeah. and we'll lose that yes. okayness. Or- yeah. Yeah. There's, so I think many of us have this belief that we are holding ourselves together and keeping ourselves and, and maybe others safe by being vigilant in a way that also increases our suffering a little bit. But like it's a trade-off we're willing to make. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a fear of getting swallowed up by it. So even if I'm aware of it, I might not want to engage in it this way because I'm afraid of what will happen if I if I take that approach to the suffering. Yeah, not wanting to give up the thing that's causing the suffering. I mean, this is, yeah, right? I mean, think about attachment, addictions, personal narrative, the narrative self, how we construct a sense of meaning often from our suffering. And what would it mean if that's no longer true, if our pain is not, is not there, if we relieve that or change that? Sometimes we don't even know who we are. Certainly we may have to change things about our lives. Okay, so all these things can make self-compassion difficult. And I wanted to particularly highlight stress and shame uh, and self-criticism as two very common responses to our own pain or stress or suffering that are the counterpart to sympathetic or empathic distress. So I mentioned that we all have this instinct to, uh, to be overwhelmed when we see a loved one suffering and that we ourselves freak out and fall apart. It's a natural instinct related to caregiving, uh, but 
often gets in the way of acting skillfully. So it seems like when it comes to our own stress and suffering, we have this other, these two other instincts that are also related to just basic survival needs. And one is the stress response, that we have this incredibly hardwired instinct when we are at risk to defend ourselves through something that is different than compassion. It is the sense of emergency. It's a sense of overwhelm. It's the sense of acting uh, without thinking. And it, it's that heart pounding. It's you know, the sense of being trapped. In theory, this is going to motivate us to take action to protect ourselves. But the action that stress motivates is often very, very different than the action that could be motivated from a slightly calmer, more spacious approach to one's own suffering. And then shame and self-criticism seem to be related to the instinct to connect with others. It's kind of a paradox. So the more that we actually care about being a good member of our tribe, the more we care about our relationships with others, the more we want to contribute, the often the more likely we are to then um, criticize ourselves when we let ourselves or others down, to feel like we aren't doing enough or giving enough. And we take that desire to, to be connected to others and support and contribute and be part and be appreciated. And, it's, and that motivation often gets translated into being hard on ourselves, as if being hard on ourselves will help us be a better member of our community, will help us fix ourselves so that we are appreciated and we don't get into trouble. And uh, so I think it's really worth appreciating that if you have other instincts besides self-compassion to your own pain and suffering, to recognize how really human this is and often that they come from a place that allows us to connect to others, which is why it can be easy to feel for others and not easy for ourselves. So before we do the practice, I want to talk a little bit about the self and self-compassion. And I think this is really the heart of cultivating self-compassion, is finding a version of you who feels like you because you are embodying a kind of attention and present moment awareness that you are aware of. But it's different than the part of you who is actually suffering or stressed out. And I often think of this in terms of like size. Like there's a part of you when you're suffering or you're, you've had a failure, you're in pain, it kind of contracts, right? Does this make sense? It's like this version of you. And you have to find the version of you who's connected to something bigger than that particular moment of pain or that particular story or that particular relationship that there's it's really a quality of attention that comes in who can hold the one who is suffering and it's that quality of attention who can be in relationship to the one who is suffering and often the way to get at this quality of attention is to cultivate it first in your body and breath that quality of spaciousness and then turn your compassion to others who are suffering and then we're going to like jujitsu it back onto ourselves. We're going to use that energy of compassion and sneak up on ourselves. Okay? So th that's the practice we're going to do. And it's the idea that we're going to find that self who offers compassion. And then we're going to find a way to invite in the little self who's suffering to be the recipient of that. So this may be our last meditation practice. So let's go through that process again. The mountain, the sun, the sky... I invite you to take, again, a conscious position for your body. And like every other meditation practice, you could listen or you can fully participate. But either way, you're holding the space for those who are participating. So you've taken your conscious seat or, however, standing, lying down. 
and making a conscious choice about the placement of your hands, your head and your neck. And if you were to actually bring to mind the image of a mountain, mountains do change with time, right? They get affected by wind and water and and other things like that. Grass grows. But it's kind of a slow process. So when you think about bringing stillness to your body, I invite you to think of having a quality of stillness in your body. It's not rigid. There may be some movement and some adjustment as we practice. But it's going to be slow, not on impulse. And feel free to take care of your body as you need to. Let's bring awareness to the quality of the sun, the natural warmth. By bringing to mind your intention for this practice, which is to extend your own compassion to you yourself. And then find that quality of the sky in your attention by bringing attention to your breath. We're going to stay with the breath a little while longer because I want you to have this as a resource to come back to as needed. So let's re-engage and sustain that attention to the breath. And I invite you to come back to the breath and the feeling of the breath at any point in this practice because when we turn our attention to both our own, suffer- our own suffering and the suffering of others, a lot of stuff might come up, sensations and thoughts and feelings. And although I trust that you have the space to be with them, you also have the capacity to turn your attention back to the breath as an act of self-compassion, if you choose to. I invite you to bring to mind something in your own life that is currently causing some kind of stress, uncertainty, anxiety, pain, anything that you are aware of right now that is causing some suffering. It may even be something that you did that you are feeling regret or disappointment about. 
We're going to take a minute to see if you can be with whatever comes up when you bring this to mind. And just be with yourself. Notice where your mind is and see if you could choose to bring it back to this thing that is creating some suffering. And sense the breath at the same time. And now I invite you to imagine that someone you care about is going through something very similar right now. Pick someone specific you care about and imagine that they are going through the same thing that you are experiencing. And notice how this feels when you are aware of your friend or loved one in this situation. Do you feel a sense of care or connection? A desire to support or encourage See if you can breathe with this. And in your own mind, you might come back to those phrases of support and compassion, imagining saying to your friend or loved one, may you be free of this. May you be free from suffering. May you know your own strength. May you know that you are loved. May you know peace. Now I invite you to sense your breath. And as I repeat those phrases, just allow yourself to receive those phrases. May you be free from this suffering. 
May you know your own strength. May you know that you are loved. May you know peace. And breathe with whatever is present. Now finally, I invite you to bring to mind the possibility that whatever you yourself are going through right now that it does not isolate you from others, but is part of common humanity. And that whatever you are going through right now, there are countless other human beings who also know what this feels like, whether it's pain or illness, anger or fear, grief or loss, confusion and doubt. Whatever this is, there are countless other human beings who also know what this is like right now. And see if there is a sense of compassion for all others who are suffering in this way. And you might repeat the following phrases in your own mind. May we all be free of this suffering. May we know our own strength. May we know that we are loved. May we know peace. And again, breathing with whatever is arising. And as we conclude this practice, I invite you to consider one last idea. That your own willingness to be with your own suffering actually helps relieve the suffering of others. And we might dedicate this practice with that idea. May my own willingness to be with this pain and suffering, to find compassionate awareness and space, may in some way contribute to the happiness and freedom from suffering of others.
As you begin to open your awareness back to the space around you, I invite you to do a little regrounding exercise. If you want to stay seated, you might just like literally sense your feet on the ground. If you want to and have room to stand, you might stand up again for a second and sense that rootedness. And this is like, this is still part of the exercise, whether you're sitting or standing. I want you to bring awareness to the skin of your whole body. Just bring awareness to the the skin of the whole body as if you had kind of 360-degree awareness right now. And I want you to really sense the space around you and the others around you. And begin to do that visually as well. Like actually look around the space around you. The sense of turning attention back outward when we've gone in like this really seeing the space around you. And that could include, again, making this generous, soft eye contact with others around you. And then when you're ready, have a seat. And I want to say something about this practice we just did. Before you say something about this practice that we just did. Okay. So this is one of my favorite practices in the... Um, It's a version of a practice we do in the compassion cultivation training that brings together the practice of common humanity with self-compassion. And this is a visual depiction of how I think about this practice, that it's a process of turning inward and then a process of broadening our awareness to understand the suffering of humanity, to understand that our individual story is not as unique as we often feel when we're in the midst of the suffering, that we go right into it, that we allow ourselves to sense it and feel it and be aware of it. And then the quality of awareness we bring to it is one that is connected to something much bigger than our own experience. So this is an image, if you are not familiar with this image, this is considered the, in, in um, Buddhism the embodiment of compassion, one version of the embodiment of compassion. Avalokiteshvara is the name sometimes used. You may have heard the name Kuan Yin. But this particular embodiment of compassion, there are a thousand hands in this picture, if you can't see it. It looks like a human being with a lot of different heads and a thousand hands. The heads are rotating, turning around in lots of different directions, and each hand has an eye in it. The idea is that the embodiment of compassion is one who can hear and see all suffering everywhere. And I feel like this is in many ways the self that we need to bring into self-compassion. That when we, we are aware of our own suffering and the response is not compassion, it's usually because our attention has become so constricted that all we can see is our own weakness, our own failure, our own pain. And so the compassion itself is the one who can hold that and have it part of the many to actually see that the suffering is part of what it means to be human. So that's what that practice was about from my point of view. Does anyone want to share what it was about from your point of view? And again, I especially want to encourage, there are a lot of folks here who haven't shared yet, and I want to give you that opportunity if you would like it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, let me get out of this. Yeah, does anyone else have that experience? The other meditations were great, 
But this one was like, when is it going to be over? I do not think it's just because it's the last one. Yeah. Uh, I think that this is a fairly common response. Um, and, you know, it actually relates to the, the often the lack of desire we have to, to move towards our own suffering in this way for many different reasons. So we're not, it's not a problem to be fixed, but I really appreciate you naming it, that, that the, there's something that is very unusual about this process, and often our first instinct is like, it's not comfortable, it's physically not comfortable, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for the exit strategy. Which often includes not doing it, by the way, too. You know, in the class, when we get to this as the weekly practice, there's a lot of not practicing that happens. Other folks who haven't said anything yet, I'm looking for. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you had a similar experience, and probably not just like exhausted from all this meditation. That this is, this is, as a skill set, an intentional quality, this is actually difficult. Yeah. 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 So you sense this physical quality of warmth and one that allows you to touch an emotional quality that, that brought tears to your eyes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. So let me repeat this for, for others. So this is the observation that, okay, I know what compassion for others feels like in my body. You asked me about that. I know what it feels like. I can feel it. But when it's time to turn it to myself, it's like it's, it's gone. And I don't know what it feels like. And that feeling doesn't stay. Yeah. So this is, so this is the skill, right? I mean, this is the reality of it, that for most people... That thing that is often instinctive towards others, it feels like a vacuum or it feels like that's just not the response to our own suffering. And the way that I think about this is it's a practice in the same sense that like, you know, that very first practice we did today, some of you are very experienced meditators. You remember what it was like the first time someone told you you weren't allowed to move in sitting meditation. Like it seems impossible or the idea of uh, bringing your attention back to the breath again and again that's really what this is a practice of, that there's a part of you that can touch the compassion and then there's another part of you that's going to immediately want to abandon it or not know how to find it again. And you just keep touching into that part of you who knows what it feels like. Mm-hmm. When you, we did the part where you talked about common humanity. Mm-hmm. What just occurred to me is that not wanting to give yourself compassion is a way of making yeah yeah I think this is a very interesting observation that sometimes uh, one of the reasons we can give compassion to others but not ourselves is that we we are using that lack of self-compassion to maintain a sense of being special that somehow our suffering is different or that somehow 
uh, that we could escape suffering, like that would be possible. And so we, we need to be hard on ourselves or we need to be relating in this different way. So many different ways we relate to our own suffering that's not compassion can be about trying to feel separate and unique and separate from others. This practice definitely challenges that. And I, in my experience teaching these programs, common humanity is the key to self-compassion. I haven't seen anything else unlock it in the same way that it's only when you're able to see your suffering in others that self-compassion becomes more natural. And it could be through this meditation or it could honestly be just paying attention to other people, right? That one of the problems with self-criticism or shame or denial of our own suffering is that it's like putting blinders on and it's so much harder to see what's actually going on for other people as well. And so sometimes just choosing to actually turn our attention there and not have it be that this is fundamentally different from my own experience. Yeah, really unlocks the self-compassion. We have just a few minutes left. Is there any one, maybe one or two more reports? Yes. Yes. Good. I know. It's, it, so this is the observation that the idea that being with your own suffering is actually a way to support others. And by the way, it is. When you're with your own suffering in this way, right? There are lots of ways to relate to your own suffering that get in the way of, of supporting others. But there's really no difference between the capacity to be with yourself when you're suffering, with presence, with mindfulness, with acceptance, and also willingness to act and relieve suffering, that's not at all different than what is required to be with someone else when they are suffering, rather than shutting down or escaping or trying to fix it so you don't have to deal with it because you're so uncomfortable or all the other things we sometimes do. So it truly is. I mean, I'm glad that it's motivational and also it is factual. Maybe one, one more for anyone who hasn't shared. Yes. Yeah, thank you. So, you know, this idea of using phrases in your meditation, may you be free from suffering, may you, may you know peace, or other phrases, um, this is a very important part of loving kindness and compassion practices in, in many traditions, this idea of connecting to a basic aspiration that doesn't have to know how it's going to happen, it doesn't rely only on you, it's kind of connecting to compassion itself. And sometimes when we are feeling frustrated or we're feeling nothing or we're feeling overwhelmed, sometimes that's a way to connect to compassion itself. And I think it's why those phrases are part of so many different meditations. Well, we, we are going to end on time. We have a couple minutes left. So we're going to do a formal close. Um, and then I will not immediately run off so that uh, if you guys want to stay in chat, I will be available. Yes, this must be very urgent. Okay. Yeah. 
So I think, um, I mean, I can talk as a scientist and as a practitioner. The science answer is actually pretty easy. There's now a lot of growing evidence that the type of practices we, we did today and the process behind them helps relieve suffering and anxiety. And, you know, as somebody who has experienced both, I can say that this approach of making space for suffering and not having to shut down and sometimes being unable to fix is actually the only thing that has ever supported me. So I feel like, you know, there's the science side and yeah, this stuff changes the brain and, you know, our own study, we've shown it reduces stress and anxiety and depression. But I feel like this approach it actually is what often allows us to engage with other therapies, like that, that we can be with our own difficult thoughts and difficult emotions may make it possible to talk with someone about it, to challenge the way that we think about things, to try out new experiments, new behavioral experiments, that this process supports all of that. And, uh, and I wouldn't want to be doing any sort of intervention or therapy without that as a support. Okay, so let's come back to a back to your seat. <laughs> Thanks. That's fine. We're going to be done anyways. All right. Take a moment, turn your attention inward, whether that means closing your eyes or dropping your gaze. Take a moment to acknowledge your own presence and participation here today. Remembering your intention for being here. And acknowledging your own presence and participation in support of that. And then open your eyes and just share your gaze again lightly with the folks around you and the space around you. And take a moment to appreciate the presence and participation of everyone here, those who sat next to you and those who sat in the back, right? Those who set up our technology, those who set up the event, those who built this building. We could go quite large, right? A sense of everyone who helped participate in this process today and may our own presence and participation in some way support the happiness and freedom from suffering of everyone who supported our ability to be here today. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful rest of your um, day, St. Patrick's Day. And for those of you who are interested in staying connected, because this I said, mentioned this was a mashup of two classes if you're interested in the science side, there's an eight-week class that starts April 1st at Stanford. And you don't have to do any of the touchy-feely stuff. It's just science. Um, and then the eight-week meditation class, which is very little science, a lot of meditation, a lot of talking in small groups. So that, you know, that, that little bit we did today, that's through C-Care. I'm not teaching that this quarter, but there are other wonderful teachers who are teaching it locally at Stanford. And there will also be classes in Berkeley and, um, and other places in the East Bay coming up. So if you're interested in taking a, a immersive com- compassion meditation training, 
you can find us through CCARE. And, uh, and that's it. Unless there are other announcements that I should hand it over to you. No, I just want to thank everyone for coming uh, out on a Sunday afternoon. I want to thank our guest speaker, our teacher, Kelly. It was really a fantastic presentation. Thank so thank you so much. Especially the people in the back. I'm just so glad you stayed. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really.